In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an awesome guest here with me, Natalie. How are you? Hey, Pam. I'm great. How are you? I am doing lovely. So, Natalie, you're a total, total rock star. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. You're a baller, and I love that. Now, question for you, and this is the most loaded question of all time, but I always start with this, is what inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Super great question and easy question for me to answer. It is my story. At 15, Pam, I was walking across the street. Two guys were racing their cars at 60 miles an hour from light to light to show whose ego was bigger. And unfortunately, one hit me as a pedestrian at 60 miles an hour. The entire left side of my body was completely crushed. I have multiple pieces of metal to this day, which you would never know. You know, no one would ever know but it's real. And those scars and that experience really was a second chance at life at 15 years old. And when you have that, I mean, like, who cares about everything else, right? You have a chance to live. Now, each and every one of us has this. We're alive. We have such a small statistical opportunity to actually be the, you know, the sperm that that got the egg and, and be here. What a blessing it is. And so often we come in and we forget and we think we have an unlimited time. Nothing's unlimited. We need to live right now. Right. Oh my God. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Now, like, what was that recovery process like at that time? Because here you are, you're 15 years old, you're just a teenager trying to live your life, you know? You know, it's funny. I, I, I don't think I was ever really a kid. I feel like I came out like a little adult that just had to grow into my body. The doctor told me, we can't believe you survived and you're going to have to take 10th grade off. And I go, doc, I'm alive. I go to the number one school in New York. And not because like mommy and daddy had a silver spoon in my mouth because I was a hard worker. Always school was my thing. I was amazing at it. Thank God. And I worked very hard. I was like, if I miss one day, I'm going to be behind my peers. I'm not going to do that. And it was August 20th that the accident happened. Believe you me, I was in school on the first day in a wheelchair. And within a month and a half, they said, I'm not going to walk for a year. Within a month and a half, I'm dancing and choreographing on stage. Stop it. What? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. They told you you weren't going to walk for a year and you were dancing in a month and a half? You know what? When there's a will, there's a way. So walk me through your badass mentality that you have, because that is not normal. Because no, because a lot of people, right, when they have a news like brought to them, they're like, some people get crushed and they don't, you know what I mean? Like, how did you battle those thoughts? And like, how did you motivate yourself to be like, nope, I'm doing this? I really felt like it was like, holy moly, I am meant for something huge. God willing, I survived. I'm alive. Like, I'm going to take advantage of every part. And I also didn't want people feeling bad for me, you know? I, I was like, you know what? 
like how strong am I and how tough am I that I was able to survive that? You're telling me this little 15 year old punk is going to keep me down from doing what I want to do because what he might think? No way. And how often, Pam, people get crushed. They get crushed by he didn't like me or she said this to me or this person didn't like my Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn post. Who the F cares? Amen to that. That's another thing, you know, it's like so many people get so wrapped up into what everyone else thinks of them and their own insecurities. It's like, pay attention to you. Like you're alive, you're breathing. Like what? And Pam, let's be real. How much time of any of our days, and we are very much out there, love to empower others, we're doing big things. How much of our days are we spending thinking about other people? Very little. Very little about a pin, yeah, if if ever, right? So like Everyone is holding themselves back about what is they going to think. Trust me, they're not thinking about you. <laughs> they're only thinking about themselves. <laughs> you know? Yep. I always say that. I'm like, people are so wrapped up in their own insecurities. Like I guarantee you what you're thinking that you're, that what you think that they're thinking is not happening right now. Like you and need like, to stop caring. <laughs> if only we were so lucky as all the people would only think about us all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. No, but I, I respect your mentality so much. And like, you know, at that time to be able to like rise up and to the challenge and just be like, listen, I'm alive. I'm going to do this. If I survive that, I'm going to keep going against all odds, which is crazy amazing. But like to be that young and have that mindset is so, it's literally gold, just like your last name. It's literally gold, <laughs> you know, because as a teenager, especially, you know, going through something like that and then just being able to like rise up again. And, and so what was the doctor's reactions when you started dancing and choreographing again? My PT was in shock. And you know what looked like? They were like, the fact that you can do this, literal, this arm move, because my elbow was badly shattered. Wow. It's like a miracle. And you know what? The human body is the miracle. The fact that all the pieces have to work and they do, whoa. And here's the thing, you know what, Pam? Truthfully, it was to me the biggest gift and the biggest wake up call because how many of us, like, yeah, I went to Harvard and I'm special because I went to Harvard. Mm. Or I went to a community college, so I must not be able to do that much. Who told you these lies? It's beyond. Like to me, it's all about how do we uplift and lift humanity into the light to realize that your degree name is not you. Mm -hmm. You determine what you do. And believe me, no one cares where you went to school. It gets you your first job. That's it. It opens the door to a network. But how many kids go to college and sit in their dorm room all the time and don't network? What mm -hmm. the heck are you wasting this opportunity for? Yeah, absolutely. And now for you, as you sort of shifted into, you know, from high school into college, you know, what was your career trajectory like and just like your life experience past that point? So I went to Binghamton uh, State School in New York, which is like an amazing state school, top, top ranked. And I, I came from a very, you know, working class, middle class family. So for me, it was basically a nearly free education. And then I did college in two years, double major in two years, very good planning. So I like, I do trust in the States for a living. I plan people's wealth and livelihood. Literally like it's what I do. I just was 17 years old. And I was like, well, these are the type A classes I want to take and they're filled. 
here's B and here's C. And I walked into the guidance council or whatever they call the career council when you first get on, on the college campus. And I'm like, here are the different options for the scheduling I'm going to do. And I already have 27 credits walking in. Their head was spinning. We've never seen someone do this before. What do you mean? You've never seen someone do this before. Why are we then letting other people define how we live a life? It's available online for you. You mm-hmm. check and you do it. And I was able to do college in two years as a result. And then I went to law school. Thank God. Everywhere I applied, I got a full scholarship. Wow. And that's, I became a lawyer 23 years old in New York City. Oh my gosh. Look at you, girl. So how, how was that experience becoming an attorney, you know, just coming out of school? Because I know that a lot of people, they probably go down like the corporate route and then eventually they open up their own firm. So what was, what was that experience like for you? Oh my God. So I worked for a family office, essentially real estate family in New York in house first. And then I went to a trust and states firm. And I realized like you are basically a cog in someone else's wheel and you're making them the money. So I'm like, okay, what does my boss have? She is very well-spoken. She's charming. And she knows how to explain to a person very simply what they need to do in order to protect themselves and get herself paid. That's not that hard to learn. We go through how much schooling, how much stuff in our life, and we can't figure out how to do a 10-minute pitch that this person does. Everyone thinks, this person's so much smarter than me. This person has so much more opportunities. This person, you count yourself out. That's it. So it's like, if you just say, yes, I can. At 24, I have my own shingle. This is no connections, no nothing. I literally, with my seven inch heels, you know, I'm not, I'm like five one naturally. So with my seven inch heels, I would be up and down different networking groups in Manhattan. And I am very proud to say I've fallen in Manhattan a number of times with those heels. Okay. With the <laughs> uneven streets. But you get back up and you go and you make yourself a name. And the fact is like, was I told that I'm so young and so never fun? Oh, you're crazy. What's crazy? That I'm young and I'm going to make it and I'm going to kick your ass, old dude? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you go, girl. You go, girl. At 24 years old, you're in these seven-inch heels just walking through these networking groups. Is that exactly what they told you? Like, hmm, what do so you think you're doing? All right, who are threatened. But many more were so gracious, so loving, and took me on as like a friend, a daughter, a niece kind of a thing. Mm. And, and the fact is, like, it's really funny. People think, you know, they're at a big firm and they're miserable. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And they're thinking, how do I exit this? But I'm making this money and I have these student loans. Student loans keep you in place because they are your constant payment that you can't get out of no matter what. So I would say the biggest thing is don't take those on because then you're not stuck in anything. You don't like it. You could be like, okay, I've saved up enough that I can go live my life. And here's the crazy thing. My friend, I run a women's networking group, which I believe you have come to, Pam, or will. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there was something profound that happened. And one of the women said to, to us, we were talking about money, we were presenting. She said, I asked my financial advisor, how much money do I need if I wasn't going to bring in any money to survive for six months? And she goes, that number was not a lot of money. And when that's your reality, 
Like you can do anything for six months. If you have that six month nest that you feel like I'll be okay, what's to stop us from starting anything? Mm-hmm. Give me six months, you know? Amen. Amen. So you're 24 years, years old, right? And, and like boss lady. Boss lady. <laughs> yeah. So like, so you just decided like, Hey, I'm going to open up my own firm. And so before we get into that, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? I'm just wondering. <laughs> so at first I wanted to be a teacher mm-hmm. when I was a little kid. And I think it's because I had great teachers who really saw the strength in me and gave me that confidence to go on in life and like be who I am. Yeah. And as soon as, I mean, like from 10 years old on, I wanted to be a lawyer. That's awesome. But the fact is, like, no one actually knows what being a lawyer means. What does it mean? Because yeah, I know everyone has different perceptions of what that means. So I was courtroom like, ding, <laughs> like, no, no, it's not that. And that's what I thought it was. I thought it was like suits, Perry Mason, watch out. I'm going to be closing trial day one. <laughs> 98% of cases get settled before trial. Mm. So when people say they're litigators, they may not have ever litigated a case. It's what's called motion practice, which is the paperwork and sometimes oral argument that goes in front of a judge to get a case through certain milestones to get it heard in front of a judge. That could take five to seven years. Wow. So when I originally became a lawyer thinking I'm going to bring justice to this world and be the voice, what kind of voice are you going to be if you can't say anything for seven years? Mm, Wow. So then I realized, you know what? And then I also saw like who was killing it in law school. I mean, in college, it was literally a cakewalk. And I went to an amazing school. I was partying five, six nights a week. People thought I was like failing out of school. I had a straight four, 4.0. It was insane. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I literally was like, okay, this is great because I can just like memorize the stuff, regurgitate it back, boom, 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 done. In law school, I took a year off between law school and college because I graduated so early. I hadn't planned to take the LSAT. So I go to law school. I'm 21 years old, super skinny, super blonde, super tan. And I'm like, it's Elle Woods, baby. I'm here. And all of a sudden, all the people, it's 2010, all the people who had like been laid off jobs because of the financial crash in 08, 09, and then were decided they're going to go back to law school. And they're 30 years old and they have all this real world experience. They're not raising their hand. They're not fighting for justice in the classes. They're sitting there, what I call silent but deadly. Mm. in the back you never even heard this guy's name you don't know who the hell he is he's in your law school class and you find out he tallied which is like get the highest grade in the class the class are you kidding me and I'm like but aren't lawyers supposed to advocate aren't we supposed to be the mouthpieces for those who cannot speak and that's actually not what I found in law school Mm. so I wanted to quit law school I said screw this this sucks and my mom said Nat even if you never practiced a day in your life finish the degree. I had a full scholarship. Why not? You know, it's a gift from God, right? Go and get this. So eventually, you know, my second year, I learned the tricks. My first year I was reading every case. I was like, and then I'm like, these people, no one cares what you do in the class. It's all about the final exam. It's a one shot wonder. The final determines your grade. So I'm like, why should I even waste my time? I just can study for the final. And all of a sudden, my B's and B pluses, which I had never seen a curve in my grade before, those A's, 
So I saw these B's and B pluses and started doubting myself. Am I worthy? Am I capable? Mm. And then all of a sudden I was getting A's and I got the highest grade ever in negotiation because in the second and third year, I was able to take the courses that really spoke to who, what I'm good at, which is the advocacy, the negotiation, really being what we think of as a lawyer, which 99% of lawyers do not do. It's crazy. That is so crazy. Yeah. The advocacy piece too, because I have a cousin in law school right now too. She's like my little sister and she's like, she, she was the same exact way. She's like, she's in, in uh, law school now. She's in her third year. And she's like, this is nothing like what I expected. Nothing. She's like, I was going to go in and be this advocate and trial litigation and stuff. And she's like, this is not what, <laughs> what it is at all. Now she's starting to get into more her more advanced classes. Like her first right. year, it was rough. But yeah, her, now in her third year, she's like loving it. And all yeah, that. this is so funny. It's just it's so funny. But... That's what they do. You know, and it's like, this is my big issue with colleges and with law schools. Why is it that the professors that are teaching those courses for the most part, except for in advanced years, have never worked as a practitioner? I mean, think about it. We want more kids to get more jobs. Wouldn't it make sense that we actually tell them what kind of job they're going to be walking into and what it actually entails? Mm-hmm. Furthermore, as you and I have networked on LinkedIn and we know it's all about who you know, wouldn't it make sense that the people who are teaching these students should be able to call and say, Cam, I got this amazing person for you. Star in my class, you got to hire her. How much further would that go than going to OCI or hiring blah, blah, blah? You know, here's my resume. Smell it. It's pink and it smells good. You know, come on. <laughs> I know the the educational systems are so far behind. It's like there's theory and then there's practice. And it's like, what is actually practical, right? Like you just said, it's just not really like, it's great to know theory, but in the real world, that practical knowledge is what you need to really advance yourself forward and network, building that network. Like why were we not trained to just network? Like you said. And Pam, you know what too? The confidence killer that is giving someone who's a straight A, knows they're working harder, knows they're putting more effort and love into it, and giving them a B or B plus, and giving the schmo in the back, you don't even know their name, the A, what it does to those who are really the leaders, right? It is such a confidence killer. It's unbelievable. So for anyone watching this, like you are worthy just because some professor didn't read your name and you were just a number on a test and you got a B doesn't mean you're a B. Right. Absolutely. Oh God. Absolutely. And and the educational system is just so like, it's such garbage sometimes. There's so, such great things, but it's like holding themselves to these standards. Like, yeah, you could be the smartest kid, Ivy League kid. And if you don't know how to go out there and network, that degree means nothing. And also, who says that that's right? Like, look, for example, I literally didn't study for the SAT. I learned my lesson and I did very well, but I didn't get a 1600. But here's the thing. The parents and lineage, which my parents were immigrants, they didn't know, you know, what to tell me. I, I did everything on my own. The lineage that is the Ivy League, you're learning for the SAT from the time you're 12 years old. You have private tutors teaching you math at the time you're six years old. 
and I look, I deal with all wealthy people. All my clients are very wealthy. That's why they need me. We do, you know, how do, how do we save more money? How do we create a legacy? All these great things. But the fact is that I think we have to come to terms with, it's really not the same playing field, but you can't also teach that hustle and that hunger. And I heard someone once say, which was very funny to me. I said, what do you want for your kids? He goes, I want them to be a PhD, poor, hungry, and determined. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't buy that, right? Like that's like practical stuff. Like, that's what I mean. Like you could have an Ivy league, you'd have perfect scores in school. If you don't know how to network and be a team player, you're not going anywhere far, anywhere far. doesn't matter. Like, okay, you look great on paper, but like in reality, what does this actually mean for you? Right. And you know, it's like, just if your boss or if your dad, who's actually made the money is kind of mean and nasty to other people, not to say many of my clients who are the wealthiest are the nicest, most generous, sweetest people on planet earth. God bless them. I have met though, some people who think that they are exempt from being kind because of what they perceive they have done. And by the way, those people are probably the fakers. Because anyone with true wealth, it's not just money, it's wealth of human being, wealth of experience. They're usually fabulous people too. I'll give you one example. Merrill Lynch asked me to speak at a one of their seminars that they put on as the attorney expert. So I'm not going to go into like specific, very nitty gritty things. You, you talk on a more general level. You don't know necessarily who's in the room. So you can't be talking about like the tax strategy and the IRS code because a person who doesn't have the basics will not understand what the hell you're saying. So this one guy in the crowd starts like heckling me basically, being like, well, that's an oversimplification. No shit, Sherlock. (laughs) This is for the masses that are here. And then his lowly associate comes up to me at the end and says to me, you should listen to him. He might teach you a thing or two. And I'm the 25-year-old woman who is the one asked to speak at this event, built myself up through the, and this is what is, and I said, how dare you? And the guy looked like he was this small. And I just completely, I said, how dare you? Do you understand that what your boss was saying was completely wrong? So don't act like that ever Mm. because people remember that. And they will always remember how you made them feel. Amen. And now you're just a, such a total rock star by like all trades. So you're 24 years old, you launch your own firm. And then like by 25, you're speaking on a Merrill Lynch stage, like a company event sponsored by Merrill Lynch. So walk me through your like, how did you build your brand and like your business? Because you're just such a freaking rock star. And like, it's just so inspiring. And especially you're in one of the toughest markets. You're in New York City. And you're That's young. There's a hundred guys on my floor who've been doing it way longer than me in the same practice area. Yes. That's what I mean. Like, how did you <laughs> walk me through that? It's all about the network. Yes. It's all about that. I joined these groups. I became, you know, leadership in these groups. You own things. I mean, it's such a waste of time. If you're just going to go check in, check out and say, give me business, it's never going to happen. It is about how can I connect these people? How can I make it better for those people? How can I give value here? And look, like at 24, 25, what the hell do you know? But you know enough that you can come, be a light in every room, shine, and help other people. And when you do that, they will help you. And you know, at first, Pam, I was telling people, why will I work with these top guys out in Nevada? And they're so smart and and shining the light on them. 
And I closed zero of that business. Mm. The one that was like, I'm going to do this for you. And here's what I can do. Almost a no brainer that that person would become a client of mine. Wow. We take ourselves out. We diminish ourselves thinking that experience is everything. I will tell you, I work with 80 year old attorneys who've been doing the same shitty job for 50 years. Experience is important, but it's about the right experience and caring enough to keep your finger on the pulse and to know, and being like, Pam, I don't know the answer actually, but I will find out for you. And I'm going to make sure that we're going to protect you. That's sincere and real. Right. So have you seen a shift in sort of the attorney space? Because like now, especially with all these different you know, online software things, you know, people can get these templates and like all these things. Like have, have you seen sort of like a dramatic shift? Cause I've, I've heard attorneys in my space in the real estate space be like, everything has changed so dramatically. You millennials don't want to pay for anything. And like, <laughs> you know, like all these crazy so things. Funny. You know, most of my clients are actually much, much older than I am. Wow. They are in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Interestingly, I love what LegalZoom did for the legal economy because it's making it more accessible. So attorneys think, well, they're taking my clients. No, that's actually false because 64% of people died without a will, still currently. So it is actually dealing with that market that otherwise would not have gone to a lawyer and would have died with nothing. The problem with the LegalZoom is that the document is not the issue. They get great documents. It's about human error. So you take home that document, you don't know how to properly execute it. And because you didn't properly execute it, now it's too late because the person only needs the documents we do when they're dead. (laughs) It's taken to a surrogate's court, right? To be like, here's the will, but it wasn't properly signed. So the surrogate's court is rejecting. That is the issue. And this is with or without attorneys. When we talk about trust, the trust is the container But things have to go into the container, which we call funding the trust. That's what it's called. Most people don't do the steps because their attorney gives them their beautiful binder and says, go fund your trust. Here's the directions. Human beings are like, oh, yeah, I'm done. That's where the work just began. What we did was establish the container for you. You got to go put stuff in it. So that it falls apart when you allow it to just be, because then they're done. They forget about it, right? In our firm, we check up, have you, you know, like, let's help you fund it. Let's make sure that's where it's important. Right. The accountability. Right. The accountability is really, really key. And like those legal Zooms aren't going to provide that experience and that follow-up and that accountability. It's an amazing tool in a very transactional market, which legal services traditionally has been. But it's not the advice. It is just the document. Right. Wow. That's super interesting. And now when you were growing up, or who has inspired you the most? Like, was there been a specific mentor or people that have really inspired you? You know, that is a very tough question for me because nothing really comes to mind so much for that. And I know that's like contrary. Everyone's like, oh, I have these great mentors. And I'm like, not not so much. I learned a lot of what not to do. You know, and look, I I come from a family that were Georgian Jews who immigrated here. So I come from very hardworking people. I also saw like my dad, super hardworking, drove a, a limousine for many years and how hard that industry was impacted by the Ubers of the world and et cetera, and how that all changed. 
and how, you know, my mom, she started like as a part-time teller in a bank and then worked herself up to like the top manager there. And, and really she used her like charm and her, you know, people skills. So I'm like with hard work and people skills, you can do anything. So you might as well marry the two in a good combination because my time, right. As, as a lawyer, it's not like decree it's worth so much more, but like this socially, we are more accustomed to paying way higher for legal services than we are for many other things. Mm. So it's maximizing that time and being smart. I mean, there's a lot of lawyers out there who have no idea about the business mm. and they think I'm just, I'm such a great lawyer. Well, how, how does anybody know? Well, so your family played a huge role in that hard work because I'm like, your drive is just like crazy amazing. And if you come Thanks from the here. <laughs> I'm like it ha- I'm like that drive comes from somewhere because it, it's so remarkable like your hustle I mean I come from Albania and like I've seen my parents build from ground up so it's like everything that I've dedicated myself to is to make sure that they never have to worry about a bill ever again like that was my driving force it still is my driving force you know to make sure that they're good and then now it's it's become much more but it's um it's something about being like a coming from an immigrant family that you just like it's just a whole nother level of like responsibility that you feel well because our family didn't know about wills and trust and legacy and they didn't have that Mm-hmm. They had to come here with nothing and make something of themselves back against the wall, you know? So it's, it's also like, what a blessing, right? To have that hunger to want more. Mm-hmm. And, and look, the truth is you don't have kids yet, but God willing soon. And I have two little ones and thank God that my kids are not going to have the same thing, right? It's a double-edged sword, like everything else. You want that hustle. You want that drive. You want that go get it. And at the same time, what the hell are we go getting it for? Except to make it easier for the next generation. Right. And then we think about the next generation. Oh, they don't have that hustle. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's just, but they have their own things and their own like, you know, okay, what do I do with this? I don't have to necessarily work hard. So what am I going to choose to do with this? Mm -hmm. Which in and of itself is, I mean, like, do you know how many people who are millionaires and billionaires and their kids are, God forbid, addicted to drugs? Yeah. Because they don't know how to reconcile with the fact that there is so much available. And it's that line that we have to walk and figure out, like, How do you make kids who are going to be inheriting still be humble, be gracious, be generous, work hard, have passion, do good things in the world? So it's a slippery slope, you know, it's it's not easy. It's not what people think, I'll just write my will, write my trust, boom, 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 done, done, done. It's really thinking like, what happens at the second generation, the third generation, the fourth generation? How am I going to make this wealth actually create legacy? Right, exactly. Oh man, and that's the hardest thing to like think about, right? Is like generation next, like what's coming and how to preserve that. And oh man, there's a whole slew of things, whole slew of things, you know, but I love what you're getting at is like, you know, how do you protect that legacy and keep it going throughout generations and not just the next one? 
And you know what's funny, Pam, when you said about making sure that my family never has to worry about a bill, I very much had that. Are you the oldest in your family, oldest child? We take that on. And especially in backgrounds or, or, you know, you're Albanian, I'm Georgian, where the male figure Mm -hmm. was very much kind of the rock, the strength. Yeah. And I'm the oldest of four girls. Mm. So you take that on and you want to take care of and you want to. So I like when I first started making my money, I would buy my mom, my sister, my two little sisters, Chanel, Chanel, Gucci, Gucci, my grandma, you know, like, and that because it's like that immigrant mentality. Like, let me show you that I have money. You know, let me show you that I made it. Mm hmm. And the fact is, everyone with real money, believe me, they're not spending like that. <laughs> no, they're like, I, oh, how much can I save here? What can I do? 100%. Yep. They are the people you think are bag ladies. They have the most money. Yep. So it's also that fine line of how do I enjoy the fruits of my labor? Yep. And at the same time, not piss everything that I made away. Yep. So we're, we're always, you know, it's, it's that 0.02%. It's that little here and there, right? It's, it's not so black and white. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's hard because like when you're successful, you just want to like ball out. You're like, yeah, let's go. Like, let's- you made it. Mm-hmm. And you're so proud of yourself and you want people to know. And now I'm like, I don't want anyone to know anything. I don't want anyone to know where the fuck I live. I don't want anyone to know anything about me. Because the truth is, like, what I do is asset protection. Because the people who know that you have, like, you're the first target. Mm-hmm. Yep. You just want to hide yourself. I have a shell so, companies. I'm way back here. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. Oh, my gosh. And, like, for you, what would be some of, like, your biggest tips to, like, you know, any any attorneys out there, any entrepreneurs, anyone that you could speak to and just say, hey, here's Natalie's tips. Okay. Number one, you got to have a basic plan. You got to know where you're going if you're going to get there. Okay. That base plan has to have the foundation of the house that is built very strong. My real estate sister, Pam, will tell you the foundation is the most important part. What does that foundation entail? Your will, your trust, your power of attorney, your healthcare proxy. Must, 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 must. Okay. You're becoming an entrepreneur. Guess what? If you're the boss, people are going to sue you. (laughs) Unfortunate reality. So for the lawyers out there, come on, guys, let's be better. But Okay, there's a lot of people with a lot of student loans. They take on ridiculous cases so that they can make a little bit of money. I understand. That means for all of us entrepreneurs, you better be protecting your money. And that means structuring of your companies and your personal wealth in a way that nobody can ever take it ethically. And that is by doing certain kinds of LLCs, company structuring, umbrella insurances, E&O policies, as well as asset protection trusts. Mm. They are allowed in 19 states. What's the difference between asset protection trust and every other kind of trust? Well, you're allowed to be the person who's establishing it, what we call the grantor, the trustee, the person in control, and the beneficiary, the person benefiting from it. It's like you own it, but no one can take it from you. So much better. And then look, if you're making real, real money, okay, there's a war on wealth in this country that's very, very real. Unfortunately, the two-party system has led it to be that Republicans are all about the money and Democrats are all about not the money, which is ridiculous. You know how many very wealthy Democrats I work with? Come on. But okay, talking points in the world. You better understand that no one's going to watch out for you and your money except for you. So you have to understand the tax implications and how to benefit yourself because the taxes that you save today 
compounded could literally be millions of dollars to the next generation and for yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So don't be cheap when it comes to going to, you know, getting this structured. If it costs you 50 or a hundred thousand dollars, but you save 10 million, you must be stupid if you don't choose to save the 10 million. Yep. And the last tip is live in love. Like do what you love, be with the people you love. And don't, we so often create these companies that we as women, especially wear the crown in and we have these shackles on our feet. Mm. You get to decide how you're going to live your life. And if that means you work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and the rest of the days you're with the kids, do it. Mm. Companies, you want to hire more women? You want to figure out how to stop this so-called she session, which has been The worst thing to happen to women since like the 1970s, let me give you a tip. Pay for her freaking daycare and see how women rise up in your business, take leadership roles, kill it beyond control. The PR benefits are going to be outrageous. And by the way, government, if you want to incentivize people to keep women on, give them a tax incentive for doing so. Mm -hmm. Not so crazy. Very doable. I mean, just common sense things, right? And we cannot say like, the government is going to take care of me. You got to take care of you. If you're not willing to look and educate yourself on what you can do to live a better life, shame on you. Right. Oh my God. There, yeah, there's so much happening with COVID and everything. Women were the most hit out of by anybody far. by far, you know, and it's still like recuperating all that. It's, I'm reading the stats. I just like want to vomit. So I'm just like, oh my God. People are so perplexed. How could this happen? Well, because you don't understand that a woman has to do everything. She takes care of her husband, takes care of the kids, also is working, has all the emotional labor and guilt around that because no matter what you do as a mom, you can't win. Oh, you're back to work? Why? Or, oh, you're not going back? What did you get this education for? Right. Tell me what three things I can do that are kosher in your mind. I mean, seriously, you can't win. And then it's not just that, but it's like, let's say you do put your kids in daycare or get a nanny. Well, you're the one interviewing them. You're the one calling references. You're the one making sure that when people come over, there's not things in the sink. Right. How much can we do? Right. You're human too. We're human too. And we deserve respect and we deserve to love ourselves because only from a full cup can we give. Absolutely. Amen. I adore that. And now, Natalie, this is my fave question. You kind of hit a little bit on it now, but what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Girl, kick that ass. (laughs) Don't take any prisoners. (laughs) Just go. (laughs) Just keep going. I love that. I love that. It's crazy, but we can do anything, anything. If we put our mind to it, we can do it. We stop ourselves. Do not let yourself be stopped by you, by that voice that was put inside your head by someone else. Because you were born as love and you deserve to feel love and be love. So don't let the insecurities of your mother or your father or your grandparents or that teacher or that bully or that person who still hates the fact that he's doing the same thing for the last 50 years dim your light shine on sister shine on amen i love that natalie you're a rock star you're a rock star so like what are you up to in the world now because i know you've got so much going on so i'm pumped to hear all about what you're up to now in the next like year 
So thank God I'm raising my girls and I have a growing firm. So we are now in about 12 states. That's been really, really fun. I do quite a bit of the TV and the speaking as an expert in my field. And I run this amazing women's networking group with my co-founder, Ashley Blackner. It is super awesome women from coast to coast. You know what? I want to do a mega, mega women's conference in the next six months, Pam. What do you say? I'm all for that. All for that. Heck yeah. Each other, you know, and, and it's really been a tough time to be apart from people. Yes. So I'm super excited about that. And, uh, you know, I've written a number of books. Yeah. I, I want, you know, I realized, I said, why are people who are becoming moms, right? Who should want to learn about the basics to protect their kids. And, but they're really not that interested. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then I thought about every great change in this country's history, every country's history has been because you educate the children around it. Good and bad, love and hate, right? So I'm like, okay, what if we started educating kids around money topics mm-hmm. and confidence and success and what that means? I think we could really make change in the world. So I'm like, okay, my next series of books will be children's books around money oh and saving God. and compounding interest. Oh, I love that. Oh my God, that's so rock star. It does, it starts young. And if you can influence them young, you'll change their mindset. Because you know what? They don't have their stuck mindset yet. Yep. They're still fluid. Adults were stuck. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I love that. I can't wait to see those children's books. (laughs) Thank you. I can't wait either. It's going to be so much fun. Oh my goodness. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. Oh my God, just Google me, my friends. Google me, LinkedIn me, whatever. I am happy always to connect. I want to help you in any way possible for the listeners. I mean, seriously, if I can speak to you and in some way tell you that you can do it and it's coming from someone else besides your family, besides, well, there's nothing in it for me. Let's do that. Let, let's let people live their best and most amazing life. That's what we're here for. Amen, sister. I love that. I love that so, so much. I want to thank you so much for being here today. You are a total rock star. And I'm just so thank grateful you, to have my, you. My sister friend, thank you so much for having me. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode. <laughs>